0: And I hope and believe it's going to minister to you. We're going to take our text. Today I'm going to talk to you around the, the topic or the title, I want to know what love is. John chapter 3, verse 16. And let's all quote it together. I'm sure we can. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then 1 John 3, verse 16 says this this is how we know what love is everyone read it with me this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask you to help us to understand love today. Help us to understand, God, what you are, who you are, and and, and what you do, and how that affects us and impacts our life. Father, we just praise you, we give you glory, and today we say this, we want to know what love is. God, we don't want to just take the world's word for it. We want to know and have a deep understanding of what love really is And we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, and we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Jesus' name. We pray for everyone here, every family member here, every person here, and everybody in church online. We pray, Heavenly Father, right now that your Holy Spirit will minister to every person, every family, every situation, every circumstance, God, whether it be financial or spiritual or relational or or a a mental issue, or Heavenly Father, whether it be Uh, any kind of context at their work or their school. Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that your hand will be upon every single person. And I pray, Lord, from the depths of my soul that if there's anyone in church online or here in this building right now that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that before this day is over that they will come to know you in a relationship. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Scotty, can you bring me a a bottle of water, please? Thank you. You know, a few days ago, uh, I was in a conversation with uh, just some family and friends and uh, my daughter. Thank you, Scotty. My daughter, uh, Taylor, reminded me of something that happened when she was younger. How many of you, as parents, have, have said this before? Um, why do I have to tell you that more than once? How many of you ever had that conversation with your kids? I've told you this, I've told I've told you, I've told you, I've to- why do I have to tell you again? What is the problem? What is the problem with you not understanding that we've had this conversation, I've told you what to do, and I have to tell you again and again and again. You know, they're children, and you're an adult, right? You know that you're supposed to be doing that. I don't know if you know that. So, um, so... Taylor was reminding me, we were talking about dad moments. We were talking about parenting moments and, and I don't know how we got in the conversation, but she reminded me of a situation that happened where I had told her, I can't even tell you how many times, don't put your feet on my dash. How, how many of you have ever had a teenage daughter that get in the car, throw her shoes off, put her feet up on the dash? Don't put your feet on my dash. Don't do it. And she would always put her feet up there and they there would be on the window. And I say, Taylor, don't put your feet on my dash. Don't do it. Every time she get in the car, throw her shoes off, put her feet up. Don't put your feet on my... How many times, I have to tell you. And one day, she was in there, and she put her feet on my dash, and her feet were up on the window, and she adjusted and set up in the seat. Crack! Now, let me just tell you that my feelings at that moment were... Um, well, I can't repeat them in church. I, I, I didn't say them out loud, but I was thinking things I shouldn't have been thinking. You know, I was like, "Do you know how much w- money that window costs to get replaced?" You know the problems I'm gonna have to go through to get that replaced. We all know about that out here in West Texas, don't we? Uh, but but the truth is, I said, "What?" And I got up and I stood up, and then I I took a deep breath and I got back in the car and I said, "Listen, it's just a thing. You're my daughter. You're more important." than this thing, don't put your feet up on the dash anymore, (laughs) now listen, that was one heroic moment out of many that were not so heroic, (laughs) it's not often that we get that right because we get mad and we get angry and we get frustrated and why, and today I want to talk to you about love, I want to talk to you about what love really looks like, what love really is. You know, in order for us to take an honest look at love, then we must take a look at love's origin. I was going to take the approach of debunking current definitions of love, which is what we always do because the world has got love so backwards, it's got it so upside down that we don't even really understand the term anymore. How many of you ever said a term over and over again and you get that weird feeling of, I don't even, does this even mean what I think it means? Have you ever lost the meaning of a term in your mind? I don't know what that's called, but it's weird. And, 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 uh, you know, and I think that's where we're at with love. We just use the word love for so many different things that we've lost the meaning of it. We don't really understand what it means. And truthfully, our culture has redefined it to mean something it totally doesn't mean so it's got us everyone confused so what I thought was let's go back to the origin of love and let's learn about what it really is and so you know what is it why not just give a a true depiction and gain an understanding of real love and then the counterfeit or the perversion of its true meaning will easily be debunked in our minds because real love cannot be denied Right, And once we know real love, there is no being deceived about it. That's why some of us feel so conflicted in our culture today because we feel in opposition to the way things are thought of and the way things are presented today. Sometimes you feel so conflicted as a Christian as a believer almost pushed out because you realize the things that are being said the things that are being talked about the philosophies and ideologies that uh, ideologies that exist around us in our culture constantly are not in line with the word of God and they have redefined what some words mean and it's not a surprise ladies and gentlemen because the bible says that when a society gets the you know this was not something new. It's something that was talked about in the Old Testament. And when a society gets to a certain place where we reject God, we push God out, we say we want other things, other things are more important, and then we start moving down this path that God releases us to our own qualms, our own wants, our own desires. If that's what you want, just go ahead and see how that turns out. And when that happens, we get all confused and mixed up. We start redefining stuff. We start turning stuff over. The Bible calls it this way in Isaiah. Isaiah talked about it, that men will call good evil and evil good. If we're not living in the day where that's happening, I don't know what day we're living in. I mean, it's obvious. So we've got to get an understanding. We've got to really, really, really rewind and go back to the basics in a sense of what really is defined by God and who God really is and and how we can really study that and learn that and develop that in our minds and our hearts because that's how you defeat these thoughts and the infiltration of the world's ideologies into your mind. Now, just so that you know that that's what we're supposed to be doing as believers, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beg of you, brothers, that you be transformed, not conformed. He said, be not conformed, To the world. In other words, the world has a way of being. The world has a way of doing. The world has a way of seeing things. The spirit of the world. I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about the spirit of the world. The fallen mentality, the fallen mindset, the sinful character of the world has a way of seeing things. The Bible even goes as far in 1 John to tell us that we shouldn't love the world. The Bible says, if you love the world, the spirit of the world, the, and, and, and it describes what it is, then you don't love God. Hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Listen, what what? 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 If you're a friend of the world, the Bible literally says you're an enemy to God. This is why we talk so much about being a citizen of heaven. Now, I'm not talking about practical things or other things. I'm talking about the spirit of the world. And here's what the, uh, John says it is. It says that, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. For if a man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the love of the world, or the world is, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the, and, uh, and I forget, the, uh, what, what is it? The, the, what is it? I forgot. It's lust, some kind of lust. Don't do it. You can look it up in 1 John chapter 4. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's what it is. It's those things that attach to our character. Those things that attach to our, that sinful nature that tries to reside in us. Can I tell you something that I want you to know as a Christian, as a believer, that you don't have to give into this ideology or this thinking that, that, that you are always going to have to fall to sin. Now, we all have the capability of sinning. Come on, somebody say amen. But we don't have to be captivated by sin anymore we don't because the bible says jesus when he went to the cross it says uh, isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 through 5 it says he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the necessity we have peace was laid upon him and with his stripes we're healed so those first two things he says he was wounded for our transgressions transgressions are the acts of sin the sin that we commit lying stealing not doing what's right whatever you want to characterize or categorize those sins as you see them all throughout the bible We we commit sins, and we're born that way. The Bible says that when the earth fell, when Adam and Eve fell, that became the inheritance of all mankind. So when people say everybody's born good, I feel like everybody does have the imago Dei on them. In other words, the impression of God on them. God gives us a conscience to at least give us guide, so we don't we stay at least in some parameters, so we don't destroy society. But we're not good. The Bible said there's none good. No, not one. And we're born that way and we have to overcome it. How do we overcome it? By working real hard? How do we overcome it? By being a better person and keeping ourselves within the parameters of the rules? How do we overcome it? By being a good church guy and a church gal and a church family? How do we overcome it? No, we overcome it one way. Not what we did, but what he did. The Bible said he was wounded for our transgression, acts of sin, and he was bruised for our iniquity, nature of sin. Jesus dealt with both of those things on the cross. This is why the apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Every day when I get up, and this is an everyday thing, the apostle Paul said, I die daily. So every morning when I get up, I'm like, Lord, I'm crucified with you today. I identify with you on that cross and thank you for dying for my sins. And I'm dead to my old self and I'm alive to the new self that you created in me because you resurrected from the dead. Come on. I'm not I have to be bound. I don't have to be defeated. Well, what happens if I do sin? You go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> we make it so hard. You know what most of us do when we fail? We run from the things are the only things that can rescue us. Run from the church. Run from our small group. Run from our friends that are good. And somehow end up in a company with friends that are going to encourage that continual failing. When Jesus tells us in 1 John, here's, I mean, John tells us in 1st John, here's the way you do it. He, he, he said, if, he said, don't say you have no sin because you make God a liar. We all have sin. We all have sinned in the past and we have the potential of sinning now. So don't, don't act like you, can, you don't have the potential to sin or that you haven't even committed sins. But here's what you need to know. If you do sin, you have an advocate with the father who is Jesus Christ. The righteous, the Bible says, if you have sinned, go to God, confess your sins, and 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 He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, sins, and iniquity. Right? It's what we all used to call sanctification. You ever you ever been in a Pentecostal church? And they'd do testimony service. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Some of us need a little bit of that. Listen. God has this intention that your life be victorious. Not defeated. Not overwhelmed. Not overcome. Not constantly sin conscious. But righteousness conscious. Look, if you continue to concentrate and focus on your sins uh, y- you'll end up in that place again how many of you have ever had something that was sinful in your life and you said to yourself i'm not going to do it ever again i'm never going to do that again i would never do that again i can't believe i did it i, I-, I feel so bad about it i'm never going to do it again i'm never going to do it again i will never do that again oh god help me not to ever do that again i'm doing it i'm doing it right now i'm doing it why am i doing it i'm doing it again i said i wasn't going to do it again yeah. why does that happen because our focus is not on the righteousness of God, it's on the sinfulness of us. And the devil gets all in that mix and he says, he says, look, see, you can't make it. You can't do it. You can't be holy. You can't be right. You can't live for God. God didn't forgive you. That was all just a hoax. That was all just weird. You were just emotional. That really didn't happen. You're still bound for hell. You couldn't even live for God. Is there even a God? Listen, you don't have to listen to those words. Listen to what John says when he's telling us in the New Testament exactly how to handle sin in our life. He said, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ the righteous. So let's just just use John's analogy here and look at it from the perspective that he's giving us. He's using courtroom language. That's what he's using. He's using courtroom language. And he's saying you have an advocate. An advocate is a lawyer. In this case, good. He's good. He's our advocate. He's our defense lawyer. because y'all, we're guilty. Somebody else is not guilty. Society's not guilty. My neighbor's not guilty. My mom and dad aren't guilty. My kids aren't guilty. If it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, I'd be different, no, you're guilty. I'm guilty. And so you're standing in, sitting in the courtroom guilty. And you know it. And your lawyer is not going to trick anybody. He's not going to get up and try to, try to skew the evidence. The other lawyer in the courtroom is the devil, Lucifer, Satan. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. So what the devil likes to do is he likes to come and tell you how bad you are. And, and you know, the Bible says that Jesus came to save the world. That scripture we just quoted earlier said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on to say, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now listen very carefully. There's one translation that says it this way, that Jesus didn't come to point an accusing finger yeah, yeah. at you. Because that's what the law has already done. The law was created by God to get your attention and tell you, you are condemned. Listen. That's why we all need to be saved. Because we all without Christ are condemned. We stand under judgment. (laughs) I'm just trying to lighten the load here a little bit. See y'all. But if we know Christ or we're in Christ, we no longer are under that judgment. Now we are in Christ. We are saved. Our life is changed. If we are saved, if our life has been changed, we've been regenerated. Our spirit has been made new. Come on. Like the Apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. We got stuck and we just said, I want the fire insurance that makes sure I go to heaven, but I don't know about the rest of it. That's not the way this works, y'all. Old, gone, new, here. All of this because God loves you. So we're in the courtroom, and the devil is saying, They're guilty. They've sinned. They've committed wrong against you, God. Oh, holy God. Isn't the devil wonderful? You are so holy, and you're so right, and they have committed sin against you, and they're horrible to you. And Jesus stands up, and he says, uh, I, I just need to bring to everyone's attention because he's your advocate, your lawyer. He's standing in the courtroom. Judge, I need to bring something to your attention. Well, what is that? They're guilty but they've already been sentenced and the sentence has already been carried out. Because the advocate who is the lawyer sitting beside you defending and pleading your case was also the sacrifice that took the punishment for you so you wouldn't have to. Today I'm going to preach a message on I want to know what love is, and what I want to try to do is help us to understand love from just looking at the originator of love, or the one who the essence of love truly emanates from, and then next week, we're going to talk on a message titled, I Can't Stop Falling in Love, and this is about our love for God, and why we love Him, and why it's so important, and what loving God really means. And then the following week, we're going to talk about all you need is love, and this is all about loving others. And then finally, we're going to talk about I will always love you. Once we understand what real love is, then we can talk about romantic love. You don't want to miss this one. (laughs) So, what is love? What is love? Simply put, the Bible says God is love. Now, let me make something very clear to you theologically for a moment. Love is not God. God is love. Our definition, our supposition, our assumptions about what love is cannot be placed on God and call Him love. The only way we can truly understand love for real is that we understand God for real. Our idea of love is skewed. Our idea of love is is covered with bias, it's covered with supposition, it's covered with prejudice, it's covered with ideologies that are earthbound and earth-bent, and it's not real love. So let's not ever say love is God. It's not the same thing. But God is love, true love, real love. In order for us to understand love, we have to understand who characterizes it. We have to understand how love is expressed, what are love's effects, and how does love function in order to take a look at love. Let's take a look at God. God is who we know as Yahweh. It's what the Isra- Israeli people would call him or what the name that derived out of their respect and reverence for him because they wouldn't even say the name. So because they reverenced him so much, so, th- so there was a spelling that allowed them to call him something else. We pronounce it this way, Jehovah. He's the self-existing, self-sustaining God of all things. Let's get it straight. Anything that is not him is false religion. Anything that is not him is false religion. He is not the author of many paths to him through many prophets to him. He declares and defines the path to him. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he didn't stop there. He said, no one comes to the Father, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, except through me. So this idea that there can be other ways or there are other ways is false unless you just say, I'm not going to believe the word of God. I'm not going to believe the Bible, which is not an option for us. and should never be an option for us. And if it is an option for us, just stop calling yourself a Christian. It's that easy. Because our relationship with God is not based on a label called Christianity, it's based on the idea of following Christ and being changed by Christ. And what transforms us and renew us is the word of God. Jesus is the personification of this word. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse verse, uh, 1, he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, even as we beheld him as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. He said, the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And these words are an expression of our savior, Jesus. And these words transform you and renew you and change you. Yahweh Jehovah, the self-existent, self-sustaining God of all things. Beside him there is no other God. He is A to Z. Everything started with him, everything will end with him. There is no beginning in him and no ending in him. You and I, we have beginnings and endings. We understand them. We are born, we die. God never even had, well, we get in this, you know what's funny to me? We get in this big conversation about creation. And did God really create? And is the Bible right and accurate and all of these things? But truthfully, we need to take a bigger, more broader look. The person who created us was never created. So why are you questioning whether or not he could do what he says he did? And trying to minimize the miraculous power of God to a small mindset of mankind when we're just guessing in the first place. He didn't wasn't created. Nobody had to make him. He couldn't be made. He is God. Now, you can't understand that, nor can I. It's incomprehensible to our human mind. Why? Because we're finite, and he's infinite. How can I get a hold of that? I can't get a hold of that. Don't think about it too long. You'll go berserk. I do it all the time. I think, oh, God, you're so, you know, we we don't need to get caught up with that. The Bible tells us even, don't get caught up with that. Just know I am God. This This is why God told Moses, just be still and see that I am God. He defines himself to his own people as I am. I am. He didn't have to say anything else. I am. That word I am is, uh, 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 it denotes Yahweh. It denotes Jehovah. I am. When Jesus used all the I am's in the gospel of John, every single one of them were in reference to the fact that he is. Not he is just the son of God, but he is the second person in the Godhead. I am. The same I am that was at with Moses in the burning bush. The same I am. That was with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Ooh, y'all. In a lot of ways, he's completely incomprehensible. However, if we're to understand love, we must understand that love is not something he does. He is love. And all that he does is motivated by love. All that he does is motivated by love. Now, I want you to stay with me because I'm going to say some things that may challenge you a little bit. And I want you to really grab a hold of what I'm saying. He is love. And all that he does is motivated by love. His motives however sovereign however hard to understand, however immense and immeasurable or even incomprehensible they are motivated by love. He is love. He does love. He knows love. He expresses love. Everything he does expresses love. Now you're thinking in your mind already, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've heard about the Old Testament God can I just can I can I please can I please 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 just give you some information God did not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament we're not ser- well I don't I'm glad I don't serve the Old Testament God what are you polytheistic same God same Trinity Father Son Holy Spirit Now, there there are different things happening currently because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ than would have happened in the Old Testament, but that's okay. We understand that because the Word teaches us that, but it doesn't change anything that God is God. He always will be God. He's sovereign, and everything He does, everything, whether you understand it or not, is motivated by love. Everybody say it with me, love. Love. Come on, everybody say it with me, love. love. Sometimes we miss this about Him. Not because it isn't true, but because we don't know the real meaning of love. I want you to get that. Sometimes we, we think about God as harsh and hard and mean-spirited. Some of us have viewed God as this ogre on the throne that's got a club in his hand that's just waiting for you to, I just wish you, come on, say that cuss word. Come on, commit that adultery. I just can't wait. Come on, I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. That ain't God. God's putting all kinds of stuff in your way to keep you from doing that. And the devil's over there saying, I'm going to get you. And I'm going to make you feel horrible if you fall. And I'm going to make you feel like you have to fall if you haven't fallen. Sometimes we don't understand what God's about because we see the manifestation of his judgments and we see the manifestation of the different things he does and we misinterpret that as meanness, hatefulness, judgment, and mean-spiritedness. But the truth is it's all love, 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 love. Every single bit of it is love. So when we see real love in all of its facets, there are parts of it that don't look like love to us because we've all of a sudden changed love to mean accommodation toleration that's not what it means so when we see real love in all of its facets we wonder is this real love but if we are seeing the big picture at the level our God sees it then we would understand how all of what he has done and will do was impacted by love now let me just say this as I hurry through I want you to understand that everything that happens on this earth is not God there is a God of this world. Or until Jesus destroyed his works, and it's little g, and his name is Lucifer. The Bible said the God of this world, little g, has blinded the minds of the children of disobedience. So the enemy is out here trying to mess things up. God is not responsible for everything that happens on the earth, but he does have control. If he doesn't allow it, it doesn't happen. Reference to Job. But it doesn't mean that God is being consciously, well, I'm going to let this happen to you and I'm going to mess with your life and I'm going to to see. God's not this cosmic jokester up there that's just messing with you all the time. God is your father. The lover of your soul. God is the one who, 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 who cares about you and wants the best for you and your family and everybody around you. The Bible said he would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not just trying this for a few people. He's not just going to have a, a few people he wants to save. He wants to save everybody. Now everybody's not going to be saved, but that'll be their choice and their decision to reject God and follow, reject their own conscience and follow the ways of the world. God even put us when we're unregenerate, when we're not even saved, He put a conscience in us that represents Him on our behalf to help us make good decisions. And we continue to blow that off and blow it off and we know what we're doing is wrong and we keep, keep doing it. And people say, well, what if if people didn't intentionally reject God? You are rejecting the nature of God. And you can't even say that in America. I'm sorry. We are so Christianized and Christianized. I know there's a lot of people that don't experience church and haven't for a generation, don't experience God and haven't for a generation. But the Bible says man is without excuse because you can look at the very creation and see there's a God. I don't know why we're even fussing about it. Is there God? Is there not? No. The Bible said, a man has said in his heart, there is no God, is a fool. <laughs> That's tough language. No, it's love. Why is it love? Because God is trying to save us from an eternal damnation. Let's look at him as creator first. He created man for fellowship with him. Fellowship is a relationally intimate word. It connotes closeness and vulnerability. It's about trust and confidence. It's about love. He created man in his own image. In other words, he wanted to have kinship, where we get the word kin, in kind, kinship. I want to be in relationship with people who have my image. He created paradise as a home for mankind. Perfection. This earth used to be perfection. When I went to the Rocky Mountains this year and I looked last year in 2020, I looked at the mountains. I thought, this is the dumbed down version. I was astounded. I was amazed. I couldn't believe how beautiful and gorgeous this place was. And then realized this is the sin laden version. What must heaven look like? What must of earth looked like when God first created it and put man in it? Let me tell you something. They were in paradise. Why? Because he loved them. He created paradise for them. He created Eve from Adam for Adam. Because why? He loved Adam. He gave them dominion over everything for their enjoyment with only one holdback. Don't eat of this one tree. Oh, there it is. It's not love. He didn't want to give them what he had. You know who that sounds like? The devil. Because that's exactly what the devil said. He only's not, he, he just doesn't want you to be like him. They were already, think about this, they were already like him. What he was trying to do is save them from losing their innocence. If they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would lose their innocence. And he was trying to save them from losing something that was so precious. And instead, they viewed it as you're trying to keep something from me. Right? Listen, can I teach us all something as parents right here, just as a side note? Keeping something from your kids that they don't need is not an act of anti-love. It's an act of love. Keeping your kids from doing more than they need to do is an act of love. Not allowing your kids to be the boss in your house is an act of love. They're not ready to be the boss. I told you this before in a series a long time ago, but do you know that Lexus dealers, if a person brings their family to the car dealership, that they will pay more attention to the kids than they will to the parents because they know the kids are going to make the decision. That is, that is market research done. What in the world are you doing letting your kids decide on a Lexus? My God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> letting your kids decide what church you're going to go to. Letting your kids decide the most important decisions of their life. You're letting a 10-year-old decide it. Do you remember being 10? <laughs> if you don't, go ask your mama. She'll tell you. <laughs> come on somebody he gave them dominion over everything the enjoyment, he, he, with one whole back don't eat of this one tree you can have everything he said just not this don't do that and they just had to have that because the devil you know he said this is the one you need then he had to judge them which was also an act of love isn't it interesting that our, our society would redefine what love means and also redefine the word judgment. Because now if you make any judgments about anything, like whether you should be around a person or be with a person or you should be a part of this business deal or you should be a part, you're just being judgmental. If you're saying something that's true according to the word of God, you're just being judgmental. Because now we've def- redefined love to mean accommodate everything. We're defining the word judgment as being judgmental. Where the Bible does tell us don't be judgmental. In other words, judge, jury, and executioner to someone else because you have no right. You do the same things they do. And the reason you're seeing it in them in the first place is because you've seen it in yourself. Come on. Yeah. Don't be judgmental. But the Bible also tells us to judge the fruit, the tree by the fruit. So we should be making judgments. And I should be going to the Word of God and saying, this is what the Word says. So I'm making judgments about everything else based on what the Word says. Is that right? What does the Word say? Is that wrong? What does the Word say? Come on. What does the Word say? So then he had to judge them, which was an act of love. He banished them from the garden for their own benefit so they wouldn't make their plight permanent then out of love restrained ultimate judgment and already had a plan in place in the case that this would happen. Now think about it. He kicked them out of the garden and he put an angel there so no one could ever enter again. And the reason was because the tree of life was in that garden. And he said, the Bible says that if they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then eaten of the tree of life, they would have made their problem eternal. It would have gone out of the realm of the temporal into the realm of the eternal their problem would have been permanent. There was nothing that could be done. But he already, the Bible says that the lamb was slain, speaking of Jesus, was slain before the foundations of the world. So God, seeing the end from the beginning, knew that man, because he gave them free will, had the propensity, even the proclivity to fail. And when they fell, he already had a plan to send the perfect spotless lamb to rescue us and to save us. He had a plan of systems to help. He had a plan of of sacrifice that would help get it. He had a plan of laws that would help us understand how not to destroy one another. Do you realize that's what laws are for? Like, let's just take it out of a biblical sense and put it in in a physical sense. That's what laws in society are for. They're for keeping lawlessness out. If we don't have laws because of our humanity, an unregenerate people will destroy itself. It's what we see happening. right? Tell me, am I right, police officer? Yes, I'm right. Amen. Come on. We're trying to, God gave the law, listen to me, God gave the law to the Israelites because they had fallen so far. Remember, some of these people that you think, oh, how could he destroy? How could he send the flood? How Remember, they weren't that far removed from creation. They were very well aware of God. They had purposely rejected him. And they had become, the Bible said, when the flood came, they had become so evil that their thoughts were only evil. And many of us interpret that as sexual immorality, but it wasn't. If you go back and read it, it was violence. They had become so violent that they were killing each other. So God said, I wish I didn't even create them. It's the only time in the Bible where God said, I wish I hadn't even created mankind. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean the place up. And he did. And he found found one guy, can you believe it, one guy on the planet whose name was Noah. Jonah was the guy that went in the whale. Well, just so you remember. <laughs> Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was an act of love to keep the world from destroying itself before God could save it. Are you hearing me? Second, he was the deliverer. Man, I got to hurry. From the moment of their fall, he began to deliver them. He created a nation to express his will, purpose, and his ways. That's Israel. In order to ultimately save all of mankind who had already at this point become evil and wicked and had turned their backs on him. Why do you think everybody hates Israel so much? Because the Messiah came through Israel. It's an, it's the devil. Every time you see this hate towards Israel, you need to understand that is the devil. He is infiltrating that. He hates God. He hates God's people. He doesn't. Th- that was the vehicle through which God brought Yeshua Hamashiach. They, he wants that place destroyed. Pe- that's why its enemies don't even believe it should be a state. It shouldn't even be allowed to be a country. Why? Have you ever just asked yourself why? Because it's the devil motivating and inspiring people to hate them because... That doesn't mean that everybody in Israel is saved or born again or going to heaven. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is God's hand is on that nation for purpose. In other words, if you're a Jew, you don't get a free pass is what I'm saying. But there are some connections. The word, the oracle, Paul Paul said, here's what's beneficial about being a, a Jew. The oracles of God came from you. He created a nation to express his will. He he showed them love in order to ultimately save all of mankind who had already at this point become so evil and had turned their backs on him. He gave them the law to deliver them from their own lawlessness. He gave them a system to deliver them from sin and to show them his ways. Deliverance is all about love. I love you, so I'm not going to let you stay there. This is why we say what we do about Jesus. Jesus saves us and he changes us and he loves you exactly how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you how you are. And he begins a process of delivering you from sin and delivering you from pain and delivering you from problems and delivering you from circumstances that have made you who you are today and he's going to change you and renew you and make you someone new. He delivered them from famine. He delivered them from enemies. He delivered them from themselves. He delivered out of love. He loved and he cared about them. He would raise them to prominence out of love as a nation and he would allow their defeat out of love because they turned their backs on him. Not vengeance. He wasn't being vengeful to them. He knew that they wouldn't turn back to him unless they would lose the position. God have mercy. If I'm not speaking prophetically, to the United States of America, if we don't stop turning our back on God, he's going to have to allow things to change in order for us to turn our hearts back to him. And that's ridiculous. We should never let that happen. We should never let that happen. There's a, there's a remnant in the United States, there's a remnant of, of God's people who still love him and still pray. And it's time we stand up and start praying for salvation in our government and salvation in our national government, in our state government, in our local governments, that the people who are leading in this country, we won't just be mouthing them or hating them, but we should be praying for their salvation, that if they do not know Christ, that they will come to know Christ and that Jesus will save them. I got news for you. No matter if they're on the same side as you or not, God doesn't hate them. He may not be pleased with them, but he does not hate them. He loves them just like he loves you. And for your just edification, he's not always pleased with everything you do. (laughs) Let me smile. I need a smile on that one. He, He delivered out of love. He loved and cared about them. Even when they rejected him, Even when they broke his laws, even when they turned their back on his goodness, he still loved them. If you go read some of the minor prophets and how God likens the children of God with a bride and he likens himself as the groom and how that they had committed adultery on him over and over and over and how his heart was broken and that he had no choice but to change the circumstances of their life so they would turn back to the love of their life. This is what the Bible's talking about in Revelation chapter 3 when it says that we have left our first love. We need to turn around. We didn't lose our first love. We left. We need to stop leaving and get back to cleaving. Come on, somebody, with the presence and the purpose and the power of God. Number three, leader. I've got six. I will be done. Not in a minute and 35, though. I'll tell you that. Almost. He led humanity from death to life. He's a leader. He he led out of love. He led humanity from death to life. He He leads us from fear to faith. He leads us from sin to righteousness. He leads us from injustice to justice. He leads us from condemnation to freedom. He's all about love. And that's what the Spread the Joy campaign is about, by the way. This is the joy we're spreading, that God loves you, that God loves everyone around you, and he will always love you. And nothing can change the fact that God loves you. Nothing. There's no devil in hell that can stop God from loving you. There's no sin that can stop God from loving you. There's no circumstance that can stop God from loving you. God loves you. He went to all extents to show you that. He was king. He was their king. He was a benevolent king, a good king. He will forever reign as a benevolent good king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Bible describes him as. There's no king greater than him. And his kingship was a kingship of love. And the Israelites rejected him and said, we want a king like everybody else has a king. God said, but I'm your king. You've got judges, I'm your king. No, we want a a king. We see other people have kings. God had protected them. God had provided for them. But they still, they had to have whatever, you getting it? They had to have what the world had. They had to think like the world thought. They had to embrace the things of the world. I want to be like them. Since when did we as Christians get into this weird place where the world are the popular kids and we're trying to be the popular kids? I want to be in the popular group. No, you don't. Because the popular group, the Bible says narrow is the way and few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to judgment. And many there are that take the road. I don't want to be on the popular side of things. Well, people aren't going to like me. Eh. Come on. Jesus likes them too, though. He's not pleased with them, but he likes them. You know, that's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't just love us. He likes us. And you know when we don't like ourselves or we don't like others, you know what we're doing? We're insulting him. The Bible says, how can you say good things with your mouth about God and say bad things with your mouth about people? They're made in my image. That wasn't Old Testament. That was New Testament. James said it. James, the brother of Jesus, who probably had lots of conversation with him. (laughs) Are we getting this this morning? It's love. It's love. Number five, He's a provider. Oh, have we not experienced this? He provides on every level of life. He provides all that we need even in areas where we don't realize we need it. He provides financially, spiritually, physically, and relationally. He even provides correction and direction for us because He knows what's best for us. And then, and then sixth and last is Father. And I'll close with this. Father. There's a reason that God... Defines himself as father. And that's not just a New Testament thing either. He defines himself as father in the Old Testament as well. And there's a reason. Because although you may not have experienced a great father. There are great fathers out there. And great fathers are needed. But the reason he wants us to view him as father. And he does. Because the Bible says when Jesus taught us how to pray. He said pray this way. When you pray say our father and the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 we've not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba which is a very intimate word it's more like a word like daddy or papa now if you're a person who's experienced what a great dad is like truly a great dad you just know you just know I had a great dad wasn't perfect he missed a lot of things he he's apologized to me so many times he's a great man he still is and i love him and you know why i love him because he took care of me he provided for me he led me the best he knew how he put parameters in my life i'd have friends that i'd say let's go stay at your house Because your mom and dad are never, they don't have any rules and they don't care. And they would say to me, let's go stay at your house because your mom and dad care. I don't know why we interpret parameters as hate or as meanness or as judgment. It's got us in trouble, folks. It's love that says, I'm not going to let you touch that. It's love that says to the toddler, it's a good father that says to the toddler, now look, I'm going to do everything I can do on this boiling pot of water. I'm going to turn the handle in so you can't reach it. But I'm also going to tell you, don't you come close to this stove. And don't you put your hand in that, on that pot. Don't do it. And I might even get aggressive and say, absolutely, do not touch that. There have been times a little Lindley, she is rambunctious, my granddaughter. I mean, she, she, you got to be on top of things because she moves like lightning, and I'm not kidding. And, and, and there's been times that she's gotten in a dangerous situation, and I say, Lindley! And I mean, immediately she goes. Because my voice sounds stern. But do you know what that sternness really is saying? I love you. And I don't want you to hurt yourself. You pull that boiling pot of water over on yourself, kid, and it could change your life forever. It could mess up the future of your life. It could kill you. You're not touching it. See, this is a good father. A good father that is affectionate. A good father that is loving. A good father that cares. But a good father is not indulgent or overindulgent with his children because he knows that when that child wakes up and has uh, grows up and has no parameters in her life they will be missing a big block of maturity that will cause them to be a consummate failure in life god is a good father who's filled with love who's saying to us don't touch that that's gonna hurt you don't 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 do that That's going to hurt you, and this Father is so good to us, so good. He loves us so much that he made a plan to rectify our failure before he even knew us. He loves us so much that he wants to have fellowship with us, so much he wants to have community. This is why if you fail or make a mistake, you don't have to run from your Father. Run to your Father, because your Father's just going to grab you up and say, Hey, it's okay, he's going to pat you on the butt and say, Come on, you got this. Come on, you fell over on the bike. It's okay, let's try it again. Man, I, last, I missed the last shot. The whole team's mad. Hey, it's okay. You can't learn how to make them if you don't miss them. That's a good dad. A good dad doesn't jump in with the crowd and say, That's right, you can't believe it. You need a practice board." That's not a good dad. It's a horrible dad. A good dad says it's it's going to be okay. We're going to hey, you know what? Next week we're going to get out in the we're going to get out in the the gym and we're going, to, we're going to hit the repetitions and we're going to put you in pressure situations until you can figure it out. And then it's going to be like second nature to you. And you know what? You know what, kid? You're still going to miss some, but it's okay. You're going to be better because you did. That's that's your father. And he loves you so much that he didn't just mimic it with his words or speak it with his mouth. He acted on it. He acted on it. There's a story that's told as true out of Oklahoma, which I have to say it's told as true because I know anything from Oklahoma here is suspect. A man who... Back, back in the day I can't remember exactly the year but there were a lot of trains that had club cars on them where people could take the train to one city to the next one town to the next and this dad of this little boy uh, his job was uh, on, the, on the railroad his job was there was a bridge that had to be raised and had to be lowered uh, for the boats to go under And the trains to go across. And one day. His son had been bugging him for a long time. To go with him to work. And. Uh, he'd he'd put it off and put it off because he really didn't want to have his son around at work. And then finally his his son said, I love. I want to see the bridge. I want to see the boats. I want to see the train. Come on, Dad, let me go. And so he got him out of school and he took him to the job with him and he showed him all of it. He took him all down to the tracks and showed him how the bridge went up and down and he took him to the gearbox and said, look, this is what makes it work and these gears engage and when they engage, the bridge goes up and it goes down. And that's what your dad does. See, what I do is I make it possible for the the boats to go under and the trains to go across without hitting each other, and and so that, that that it's a clear pathway for everybody. And so it's very important what I do, son. And so they were playing around, and he showed him the he showed him the area where he, all the buttons are and all the levers are to make sure that that happens. And 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 so he they, they went on about their business. He went on about his job. His son was playing around, and he he had gotten so caught up that he had forgotten to lower the bridge after he had showed his son that he raised it and he all of a sudden in the distance heard the whistle of the train which was like the last signal to him get the bridge down and he heard it and he ran back up to the to the to to the uh, uh, box where he would make that decision and pull that lever and, and then when he got to the box he realized his son wasn't with him and then he heard his son dad dad help me i'm stuck and his son had gotten down into the workings of the bridge. And his shirt had gotten caught in the cogs of the wheel. And the train whistle keeps blowing. And the train keeps moving. And the dad is like, I, I don't know if I have time to run down there. He's in this quandary. Do I run down? to do I get my son out? Do I, do, do I, because if I, if I go get my son out, something like 157 people are going to die they're, they're, they're going to die, they're going to die if I, if I don't, but, but he, surely he's okay, surely he's not up in there where it's going to hurt him, I, I don't know what to do, and then, dad, help me, I can't get out, help me, I can't get out, but he, he doesn't know what to do, he runs out of the box and he looks and, he, and he, he doesn't have time, and he knows that train is coming, and if he don't start putting that bridge down, it's not going to be down in time, and so he makes this horrendous, awful, m- most ridiculous decision, He lowers the bridge. And he knows at this point. He knows. I had to take him. I had to sacrifice him. So those people would live. Now we can set and ethically try to come up with the decision of what we think would be right in that scenario. But I tell you that story not as much for that purpose as I do to illustrate to you that that is what your loving Father did for you. Except he put his son in the gearbox. The story goes that when the train was going by and he was looking in the windows it dawned on him that all those people had no idea what he just did to save their life. All those people just going about their day, going about their time, going about the, getting to their job, getting to their town, getting to wherever, they had no idea that he just gave up his son. I tell you that story to tell you that our God purposefully and intentionally, and his son purposefully and intentionally, said, there's only one way for this to change because they cannot change themselves. They cannot fix themselves. And yes, they're bad. Yes, they have failed. Yes, they are flawed. But I love them. They're mine. And I love them. So I'm sure there was a conversation in heaven. And the son was sent. See, this love isn't about talk. Talk. Our God isn't mean-spirited and hateful and judgmental. But He's trying to corral a bunch of people that are so flawed that they've confused themselves about it and have created a mindset that their very flaws are the good things about them. He loves 1 John says it this way this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us yes he did may be able to say a lot of things and you may have a lot of religious ideas or even some secular ideas about christianity about religionity about church about everything about whether you believe the bible or not but i'm telling you right now no matter what is going on in your head or your mind and your spirit or your heart whether you're on church or line you're in this room right now i want you to know he loves you he loves you i don't care what you've done I don't care how you've turned. I don't care what you've questioned. I don't care how, how much sin is in your life. I don't care. He loves you. And he'll do everything he can to direct your path and to guide your path to life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today.